I'm Felina Jean, and this is Black Broads Abroad. I'm an international woman of leisure who said peace out to the United States in 2011, and I have not looked back except at this ass, honey. Since then, I've lived on four continents but traveled to over 40 countries. Along my journey, I've come to know some very compelling black women from all over the world who also said fuck you to their comfort zones. I created this podcast to inspire black women in the diaspora to take risks and live their very best lives. Christy Claremont is a folk and abstract artist from Atlanta, Georgia, currently living and working in Port-au-Prince, Haiti with her wonderful husband and two sons. Christy's vibrant use of color and bold lines evoke electric fascination that resonates within the imaginations of many. As an artist, she mainly works with heavy-bodied acrylic paint and gold leaf to give texture to her pieces. She matches her visual intensity with striking subjects of women of color and recurring themes of nature and social commentary. Christy was formerly the art teacher at Kiskeya Christian School in Port-au-Prince for four and a half years before she left to pursue different artistic adventures. Currently, she is still teaching art classes to children and adults in her spare time. While art is her passion, so are people. Christy is always a part of community projects and believes in strengthening community bonds. It is her belief that strong communities produce strong leaders and strong leaders help foster better environments for the everyday man. She has been involved in numerous projects for the homeless, women's and children's welfare and fundraisers for cancer awareness. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. Thank you you so much for taking this time. So, I'll give just a bit of a backstory about how we came into one another's e-orbit, if you will, because we've yeah. never formally met. Formally. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> not formally, but uh, we follow each other on Instagram. And I was like really fascinated with um, some of your projects. I like your Bloom AET project, which we'll talk about. Um, your work as an artist and like your beautiful family. I'm just like really enthralled by you. So I'm glad that uh, we finally we finally made this happen. You've been so <laughs> flexible. So so thank you. This is like I don't know what third take. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Girl, I, I tell my husband, I'm like, you know, I'm the poster child of life happens. So I don't really, <laughs> I don't get too bogged down over a lot of things. I think Haiti has taught me that. So I'm just real. yeah that that's a fact so okay you recently had a brand new baby boy and Mm -hmm. you also recently suffered the loss of your father amidst this COVID pandemic Mm -hmm. how are you doing personally right now I'm doing okay you know you take it um day by day by day you know I don't try to you know bite off more than I can chew but I really Mm -hmm. um because I have such a good support system in my family and my friends and then my brother and just reconnecting because it was so many mixed emotions going through mm-hmm. that because I was in Atlanta and me and my husband were talking about relocating to Atlanta possibly. And so I was going back and forth between Atlanta and Haiti. And mm-hmm. then my father, I had, I was estranged from my father for close to five years so when I when I when they called me um, I was at home chilling at my aunt's house and they were like are you 
you know, this person's daughter? And I was like, yes, that's crazy. So it was, it was a roller coaster, so much, so much happening mm. back to back to back. So I had to make sure that his, you know, his um, stay in the hospital was good, handle all his affairs and, and make sure he was in a nursing home. So I was going to fly back from Haiti and the COVID hit. So it was just, wow. it was a lot. So I had to do everything remotely from Haiti, which is hard. You know, you got to really watch your loved ones when they're in the hospital. <laughs> right. So, you know, you got to make sure this is right. What are they doing? All that kind of stuff. So it was really a hard process. And um, thank God I reconnected with my father's side of the family and my uncle was able to help. But it was a lot of mixed, um, just so much emotion. And then trying mm. to protect your energy as far as your baby and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, wow. I really attributed wow. that to my faith and just really trying to protect my mind, guard my mind and guard, you know, things coming in my, in my thought process. <laughs> yeah. You know, because that's, it's so that's critically important. Yeah. Yeah. Really trying to take a reign over that and just having good people that I can bounce things off of. Like if I'm feeling a certain way, I can call my aunt, I can call my best friends, I can call people and just really um, lay things out. And I also write, you know, because in that season, I didn't feel very artistic. So I was like writing and putting energy into different things. So mm. that that is still day by day process. But the baby is like a new form of joy. Oh, I, I bet. He's so yummy. Yeah, that's what I'm like. <laughs> I like cake, you know. <laughs> so we, and then my other son, Christian, is so much. He's just so innocent, so full of joy. I, there's not a dull moment in the house, so there's not a lot of downtime for me to be feeling sorry about myself or you know, get in a quiet mode where you know. You, sometimes you're in a quiet mode where your thoughts start going, and you start yeah. thinking about stuff. I don't really have that, thank God. So, I, you know, I'm just gonna keep trucking. Mm -hmm. And you are the queen of your castle. I love that. <laughs> All these boys. <laughs> yes. So you're back in Haiti now. What has um, being in Haiti, like amidst this pandemic, what has been the Haitian um, response to to COVID? Well, um, it's kind of, it's, it's weird because it's hard to track because I'm in Port-au-Prince and it is so populated, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the... The, the main concern of the government, from my perspective, was not to try to cause hysteria amongst people. Mm. Because when you think of quarantine, um, you think, okay, we're going to stop everything. But quarantine is a privilege. It's actually a privilege. Not everybody can afford to be, you know, just chilling in the house. And a lot of the people... That's true. You know, a lot of people here need to work. Um, the people in the, we call it the mache, the marketplace they have to go out and sell fruit every day. There's no just sitting at home. <laughs> I, you know, they don't yeah. have that luxury. So they're just making sure they have, you know, blasts on people's phones. The phone companies are in alignment. Everyone's in alignment to wash your hands, wear masks, and businesses won't let you in without washing your hands and wearing a mask. Like they have to visibly see you. So I think, and I think that helps. We have had, you know, hundreds of cases but it's hard to just really um, quarantine and put it all into perspective because it's so populated. Everybody's so in touch with each other, you know? So yeah. it's hard to rate. But I think 
Haiti's done a pretty good job because Haiti had, um, I was in the States during October of 2019 because um, there was some political unrest and it's called Paylock. So the country kind of shut down a little bit and they had um, the UN and all of them had rated Haiti as like level four, like don't go there. So, so we weren't getting any flights or anything like that. So the country was kind of closed off for the period of when COVID was starting to spread. So Mm. I think that, kind of gave Haiti like a little bump, like a little head start before anyone else. And by the time it really was festering in the States, you know, Haiti shut everything down. Mm. So it hasn't been as bad. I don't, I don't think. That's good. So there's, I mean, there's some kind of handle on it, especially like in terms of hygiene practices, making sure that, you know, you can't just walk in the store <laughs> uh-huh. without sanitizing yourself mm-hmm. properly. That's mm-hmm. good to know. I haven't been to Haiti since, oof, I think it was 2012. It's been a while. It's my, it's my ancestral homeland on my maternal Yes, side. I was looking at your mm-hmm. name. Yeah, because when I told my husband your name, he was like, is she Haitian? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> so okay, you're you're originally from Atlanta. Yeah, I was born in Athens, was, but I'm I was I lived in Atlanta for most of my life, but I'm Oh Athens, where Nini and Phaedra from. Yes. Nini and Phaedra. Yes. Yes. So okay. So you're originally from, from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your upbringing like and how did that influence um, your artistic work and your travels? Oh, wow. Um, I was raised, I was raised in Athens, like kind of like a very, um, I say this, it was very black. Like I had a black experience, like the black church, mm-hmm. the, you know, my schools were majorly black. I went to a middle school, Bernie Harris Lions, that was named after um, black educators. Um, and just, I was just very like an outdoorsy child, just very, <laughs> just, it was, it was beautiful, you know, and um, my parents got divorced. And then my mom, we moved, me and my brother, we moved to um, Gwinnett right outside of Atlanta. So we were in the metro kind of area. And um, I had a, I had a very good childhood just full of color, very close to my family. And so that has affected my art because it's, I feel like my art is very warm, you know, and, and, and mm. bulky. And I want to exude that. And I've had very strong women in my life to this day. And I feel that has had a heavy influence on my art. Very strong women, like I just, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I'm like, there's a grade of strength that I'm aspiring to. And I'm like, not even on the same playing field as them yet. But it's just those, I feel like that has a heavy influence because I paint women and I paint black women. And then um, I didn't really start my art business until after my mother passed. So my mother passed in 2010. And, oh, um, she had oh I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. And, um, that period of time was a adjustment for me because I was in college. I had to drop out of college and then I um, helped raise my brother. And then, so I start, I was 
we were adopted by my aunt and uncle. I was in my 20, early 20, 21. And so mm -hmm. just that stage of that, that age, you want to party, you want to have, you know, live your life and stuff. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I couldn't really do that. And so I was, I had to really like amp it up and grow up a little bit. So, but being involved in church and being so active with my family um, really saved me. I think because I could have just spiraled out of control. That was very traumatic for me, very traumatic for my brother, um, losing our mom and then mm. dealing with my father who had, you know, like signs of mental illness and things like that. We had to, um, mm. it was, it was a lot to go through during that period of time. So I started painting. I've always painted and drawn and things like that, but my art was a way for me to feel vibrant when you know, show vibrancy and show color when I wasn't feeling like that at all, you know, and it was a good out mm. outlet for me to just sit alone and paint things and do different things and start do paint parties and do events and get involved with mm. people. So um, that really helped me. I think my art is my therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was, um, I started my business and I was in the same year she passed, 2010, and it kind of took off from there. So I was involved in a lot of local projects, local art shows in Atlanta, and doing, a, you know, just being, just putting myself out there, which was tough, but it helped. It was a therapy for me to do that kind of thing. That's very good, though, that at such a young age, at 21, that you, uh, had the presence of mind to realize that you could make a living through your art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, it kind of fell on me though, because people are like, Oh, I want to buy that. So that's, that's kind of how it, how it went. That's a blessing. Okay. So um, what was your inspiration for leaving the divided States and <laughs> how, how did you decide on Haiti? Um, well, my husband is Haitian and his family is here. And I, when we were dating, he was going back and forth, especially after the earthquake. So um, 2010, he was going back with mission trips and he was translating for different people. And um, he just had a, had a heart to stay here and mm. be with his people and be with his family and start working here. Um, and we were talking about getting married and I was like, I mean, if I'm gonna marry this man, I can't be you can't be divided. You can't be I can't be <laughs> over here and you over there. So in twenty twelve I came to visit Haiti and I just fell in love with Haiti. Like I've never seen that many beautiful black people. I feel like it's one of the first stops the diaspora need to go to before they go anywhere in Africa. Like I, I legitimately feel that. Uh, I agree. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Like coming from the States, if you want to, but Haiti's so rich in culture and beautiful minute, the plane landed and they opened the door The heat just like slapped me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I walked outside the airport. It was just like black people. And I was like, Oh, wow. You know, coming from Atlanta seeing that that was an experience for me how I how I observed the culture so um it was a no-brainer coming to Haiti because I first of all I love my in-laws I love my husband's family so they were very welcoming to me and very sweet to me 
and made me feel very comfortable. So I've never felt any kind of way um, living here. We live on the same property as my mother-in-law. So um, her support and his father's support has been very, been a big blessing me being here. Mm. Mm-hmm. What, what has the cultural adjustment been like for you? Oh, it's a big, it's a big adjustment. First of all, because <laughs> being American, okay, you, you feel like, okay, I'm black, so I should be able to, like, go up in there. I know what's going on. That's not the case. <laughs> I don't care how much research you do or find some connections. It's always something new that comes up. And it's because I'm considered American mm-hmm. before anything else. And I think that was, like, a cultural shock to me. You know, they call me blanc. So <laughs> when I'm over here. <laughs> And I was like, what? You know, I'm not a white person. I'm not. No, it just means American. You're not, you're not Haitian. You're not a part of the culture. So I, I, that really took me aback. But I mean, I think it's the, the, the arrogance of being American. Like you think you can go anywhere. You think you can kind of just do anything or your standard is the standard. So you base everything off that, what you think is the standard, you know, basically. And that's, that's an arrogance that you have to shed when you go outside of America. Like you have to literally just throw that away and respect, that's so true. respect people's <laughs> culture because I'm used to things quick. I'm used to things a certain way. And why are they doing this this way? This is our, you know, I have to really check myself because I'm over here. I'm in their world. I can't just be demanding certain things. You know, I do see some nuances where I feel like, okay, people could do better in certain things. But at the end of the day, that's still off my American perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I have to constantly, constantly like shed that because um, everything is um, not as fast, not microwave society here, you know? Yeah, at all. You know, there's no, there's no WalMarts. There's no 24 hours. Things happen. Your plans change immediately. Like you think you're going to the beach on Saturday, Saturday morning hit. There's a protest. You can't go to the beach. Like there's things like constantly, constantly happening. And you get like, oh, are you serious? And it just teaches you patience. You know, it teaches you that you're not in control of anything. And then there's also a big, um, classism there's classism and there's colorism here so that kind of shocked me it was a cold shock when i came to haiti oh colorism could you elaborate on that (laughs) well i noticed it first i think that now um with this with there's a new wave of young people attacking the issue of colorism and colonialism that has deeply rooted itself in haitian culture so i do commend them they're doing social campaigns and interviews and different things like that. But when I first came here, it was very evident. I remember when at my school, I was wearing braids and some of the, you know, younger students were like, why do you wear braids? Like braids, having your hair braided was looked at as low. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my maid wears braids. Uh, you were, te- obviously you were teaching a particular demographic of students. Exactly. So I was teaching <laughs> okay. and that kind of, I should I should say that um, that I was teaching at a private school where it's not cheap. It's probably one of the most expensive schools in Port-au-Prince. Okay, and so that demographic 
you know, kids, their parents had good jobs or different things. And so um, they measured a lot of things by skin tone or how your appearance is, your hair texture. And I noticed that immediately when I started working there, immediately. Mm. And I'm like, that is ridiculous <laughs> that that's happening. Do you speak, um, do you speak Creole? Um, on Tikal, a little bit. A little bit. Mm-hmm. I can get my point across. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I actually did have a question about, um, about your teaching. So when you moved to Haiti initially, we just mentioned that you did so as an art teacher. How did you land that particular job? And can you um, like walk us through the recruitment and application process? Okay. So this job was landed by word of mouth and people who know people. So mm-hmm. it, it was my father-in-law knew a minister who knew of an opening at the school. And so uh, it's really funny because my father-in-law was like, what are your plans? You know, when you, when you're here. And I said, I feel like I can get a job within a month. And everybody broke out laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, okay, girl, you, you keep dreaming. But literally, you know, he said, there's an interview. You want to go on it? And I said, sure. So they took me to the school and um, I interviewed and I got a position for a substitute teacher. Um, or like a stand in for a lady who's on maternity leave. And I got that position. And for a few months, I was teaching sixth grade with 20 girls and six boys all going through puberty. <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was like the most beautiful. I fell in love with those kids. And then I um, slowly transitioned into like a eight. And then the art teacher was planning to leave and she wasn't telling anybody, but she knew I did art. And so she's just asking me questions about art and material and stuff. And I'm just answering them. And then she goes straight to the principal's office and says, I want Chrissy to be the next art teacher. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so you wait, so you were at this particular school for four years, four and a half so years, four and a half years. So for the first, um, yeah, I was actually, for the first few months, I was an aide. So I came in on the back end of the, of the year. So it was kind of almost like four and a half, yes, four and a half years I was there. So the first half year, I was an aide and a substitute teacher. And then my first year, I was the art teacher. Full year, I was the art teacher. Oh, so that's good that you like, that you, you, you landed in Haiti and you starting your, your family and your life as a newlywed. But then you got to land a job doing something that you that comes quite natural to you as an artist exactly so that was a blessing so four and a half years as an art teacher you recently made a transition into like full-time artists doing you know other types of projects and your artwork is so beautiful and you're like the Jill of all trades. You make artwork on canvas, you know, beautiful purses. I've watched your IG stories where you rework interior designs and uh, making lampshades, <laughs> all kinds of things. So what are you currently creating right now? Oh, <laughs> well, first of all, that's, that's like my thing. I'm a creator, so I'm have, I always have my hands in different things. So now I'm just working on... Um, I'm working on a few things. I'm working on my bag collection. I'm designing. I'm trying to enter the mold into design. 
and um, earring collection. And I'm also um, studying different mediums. I usually work with acrylics, so now I'm really studying watercolors. And it's something that I've never liked. And I've all, and I thought, why don't I like this medium? Is it because it wasn't easy or come to me very fluidly? So now I'm just studying it and I'm basically painting it all watercolors. I've stopped painting in acrylics. So I'm just studying that and watching videos and really kind of switching it up also because my motif, I usually paint, paint the Black Madonna and I've been seeing that mm. everywhere, every area, every, every, every. So I don't want it to get like, I still will paint the Black Madonna because that was one of the influences of when I came to Haiti. I, that's where I first saw the image of the Black Madonna or um, mm. Azuli. They, they, um, they have a motif here, the image of a woman, a Black Madonna and child. And, it, and it's connected to um, voodoo culture as well. So it's, but um, I, was, I was really inspired when I came here and I saw a Black Madonna in someone's home and it was just beautiful. So mm. I started creating that. And now I see it everywhere and I don't want to get lost in the sauce. So I'm just trying <laughs> to <laughs> reinvent myself a little bit. So, yeah. So speaking of reinventions, well, one of your projects, Bloom Maiti, is a creative agency that you've recently launched. What is, what is the vision behind that company? Oh, my gosh. I love Bloom. I've partnered with my homegirl, Tally Dosu, here in Haiti. And it's, a, it's basically exactly a creative agency where we create looks and um, promote experiences for the beauty of black women and other women of color. So I want to, my goal with that was to, um, there was a thing going around showing um, when you type in Google black woman or something like that, or um, it was like dirty, dirty woman. And like the black woman showed up, you know? And, and I was like, mm. wow, that, that really, tick me off. And even though Google is like, we can't help it. I'm just like, but those are images, even the experiences that I've dealt with, even at my job at the school, like people automatically assuming I'm aggressive, you know, cause I work with other expats. So they bring that with them. They brought that, um, uh. those things with them, even working in a black country, those things carried on. And so those, those, those images of black women, I want to just, just flood, the market with beautiful images of um, women with connected to nature. That's literally what I want to do. And I help and, and bloom. I've met so many beautiful women um, and connected with them on personal levels. And I think that's, that was just amazing to me. Like different women say, I want to wear this crown in honor of my sister who passed away. I want to wear this crown because I'm having a baby. I want to wear this crown because I'm proud of myself for graduating, even though I didn't think I, all these stories and what the crowns mean to them or what these looks or these photo shoots and events mean to them is just amazing. And so that has opened the floodgates for me to just be able to be connected to different people me and Tally really enjoy that and it's something and it's and it's not an easy business to break out into um it's been some bumps in the road dealing just anytime you're dealing with people it's some bumps in the roads but the angels that we meet in comparison to that have been well worthwhile so it, mm. is, it is just amazing I love that I love it and I'll, I'll that's something I would do you know, I will constantly push Blue Mighty because it's it's so fun 
It's just I enjoy doing it. That's excellent. I'm glad that you mentioned um, that you were just talking about the school and, you know, there were other expat teachers there. Sometimes um, there's this thought that, like, you know, you're leaving the divided states, especially if you are been professionally recruited to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I always, I say this almost every episode, but, like, white supremacy does not function in a vacuum. I'm a former educator as well and I was I was really astonished I've taught on four continents and I'm astonished by the fact that you know there's still white administrators at these you know these top level positions oh yeah um, and they oh. carry these same attitudes it's like mm -hmm. oh my goodness mm -hmm. how did you did you experience anything like that while you were working um <laughs> at the school <laughs> yeah. and i think i think you know you know my people perish for lack of knowledge a lot of them just they think it's a it's a savior complex you know when you come mm. to certain countries and you're like, I'm over here, even like, cause me, and then I got a particular perspective because it was a Christian school. Okay. So mm. on top of the, the racial mess, you get the religion mess on top of that, mm. just justifying the race, you know, the racial mess. So it was just really weird and, and awkward. And there were some people that I genuinely connected with and they would say things and it was just like, it's because you're older and that's the time period you went through and that is something that's in, it's so ingrained in our society a lot of people genuinely don't know what they're doing and then I come across people who genuinely know that they're being a bigot and they don't yeah know, you know yeah and so then you have to check I them. find it's the latter mostly <laughs> yeah I mean it's, it, it is the it is the latter it is the latter but um especially like um in the Christian realm I try to see the good in everybody but me also growing up in the south i know when someone's being i know automatically no one can sugarcoat anything for me you know <laughs> so, yeah yeah um, especially I, I, know yeah. Any, I know any windows i know looks i know this i know tones you know, so, dog whistles all yeah, of it. All of so, <laughs> I, i'm not you're not gonna really play me so i got the reputation of you know you're not gonna rub me the wrong way I'm not going to say something about it or this is not right this needs to be done this needs to be so that kind of you know rubs some of my co-workers the wrong way but representation is very important because I didn't want these Haitian children to grow up and have that ideal because culturally they're they don't really experience racism um they so they'll think something I, I mean directly di direct or... directly like you know, yeah. what I've experienced, they would probably break. I mean, I took some kids, we took a trip to Ohio and some of the, there was another group of white kids there that was like, oh, they don't speak English. So we're going to, we're going to talk about them. And they were saying racial things around them as the girls, mm. these are high school girls that broke down crying. And, you know, to me, it's racial. We're going to talk about it, but it ain't going to make me cry. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. So right. Like when they hit something, it's more traumatic. So I think representation of having black teachers, Haitian American teachers, Haitian American leadership is so important because you're able to see like, okay, you plan on going to college in the States. 
you plan on doing business and being back and forth, you need to be aware of these things and not just be in a bubble. And I think when they meet like a white teacher that has certain ideals, they'll think that's life, you know, like everything's fine. There's no such thing as racism. There's no such thing as, you know, you know. Um. So it was my and we well aware, yeah, it's a such thing as racism. That's why Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere because they never forgave us for de defeating the French. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, those things like that, we have to stop looking at it as, oh, that's just the way it is. No, we have to say, you know, we have to stand for righteousness, say, no, enough is enough, you know, and. I, as an American, as a, a black person coming over here, I can tell you guys, okay, this is what you need to do. You need, you need to keep these people out. But it's so much, in my new word, the entanglement, so much entanglements uh -huh. of like, different governments and, you know, politics and, you know, um, corruption. Because there's corruption on every level of government, let's be clear. I'm not just saying um, yeah. Haiti's corrupt, but the U.S. is very much corrupt, you know, um, but it's just so much. It's just like you could do, we could do a whole seminar on my experience at that school because it was just, I felt like I was fighting for these kids. <laughs> Nobody mm, you were, Where you were, you? you know, like different things like, you know, it's picture day and then you see a little black girl, her hair is not done. I say, okay. Let me take her out of line. Let me fix her hair. You know, those kind of things. You need yeah. those kind of teachers. You need that kind of thing. Not just, okay, let her go in there and look however. Let her look. Why is, you know, we as black women take pride in our appearance. So as a black teacher, if I see one of my students kind of slacking off, something's wrong. But a white teacher wouldn't notice that. You see what I'm saying? Right. I think those kind of things culturally are very important, even in schools in the States. It's so important to have that kind of thing and to be able to talk candidly to black children. I remember saying in a meeting that black kids need to be taught and raised differently because the world responds to us differently. Okay. Point blank period. And how was that received? Um, it was some people were like, I don't believe that to be true. And some people were like, okay explain and some people were just like okay whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> so it's just it was it's a lot sometimes but um it, definitely um you i'm sure i know you serve those kids well i could tell that you you know your passion as an educator uh is palpable even just over this phone call so um Thank you for your service in my home country. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> so what, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned about stepping outside of your comfort zone? Mm, that it's not about me. It's mm. not about me. It ain't about you. It's, you know, there's, there's pieces to the whole. There's, there's more going on, you know? I think, you know, growing up it's about me and I was I don't think I was always like self-serving but it's just like coming here you see how good you have it even if it's not good in the states but the level of good you have it here is way better than what someone else might have it and considering mm. considering how people get up every day and have a smile on their face and still push through it's just it, it's not about me it's about 
it's about everybody else. It's about the children. It's about like literally when I used to work, um, I would say being a teacher is like performance art, you know, because you not. That's a fact. It's not, <laughs> it's not like, oh, I had a bad day. I can come in and be a B to everybody and just cuss everybody. I can't do that. Like something would literally happen and I would have kindergarten walk right in. Boom. And they call me <laughs> Mrs. C. And they're like, Mrs. C, what's up? And I'd be like, hey, you know, it's like a clown, you know, <laughs> like bouncing around the room and yelling and talking and stuff. And then it would just that energy, like once they leave, if something was going on with me, it would come right. You know, it's, it's not about me. I can't deflect my, my, my issues on other people. I can't do that. And that's what this whole experience has taught me, like to really put in work and helping people and, um, that helps you at the end of the day, I feel like it really helps build who you are as a person to not just to just um, not consider everything to be about you. And I think if more Americans like I'm looking over there at the COVID and I'm like, goodness, girl, <laughs> it's a mess. It is a hot it's mess. It's a mess. I think I'm like, abroad, it's disgusting. Get, I think living abroad, <laughs> you see America as like that weird kid in class like what's going what can't we get right what's going on? It's, it's so individualistic i'm just yes. like yes why is wearing masks and being politicized why isn't there like a, a a national response as opposed to this piecemeal response this is crazy it is it's absolutely very crazy, crazy. But it exposed. I was watching Iyanla the other day. I love Iyanla. Oh my god! So I, was watching, I like her sometimes. <laughs> yeah, not when she's screaming at people. But I, I like her. She had said something about COVID, and she was talking to Oprah, and she was just saying like, people having all these issues within quarantine. They brought those in. It wasn't like. Mm they manifested during the quarantine. And that was so yeah. significant to me. I feel like quarantine just put like a, like a, like a zoom on all the mess that America mm -hmm. got going on and it's magnified it. So the individualistic culture that we have has been praised for so long, but we can't get it together in a pandemic. It's just magnified the intensified the problem. People I think Trump is going to win again. Girl, no. <laughs> I thought he was gonna win the first time too, but I hope I'm wrong this time. No, I did. I I knew he was gonna win the first time. I went to bed. I didn't stay up and look at no right. Time. I went to bed. I said my husband was so anxious. He was he stayed up. I said it's over, and I went to sleep. Right. I was like the way people been acting. I knew. I knew. Look, I just saw an article and it was um, um, saying that if if the election was today, 50% of white folks would vote for him, Girl. which is not surprising. You know, my dad says it's only two types of white folks, bad and worse. And <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm not even gonna say what my opinion is about that, but uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm actually inclined to believe it's true. Yeah. But, <laughs> but see, like growing up in the South, I, I, I'm really, I've, that's my husband. We have such different perspectives. There's always a moment where you would I would have a white friend, and there was a moment mm -hmm. where she'd be like, she realized she was white, and she would stop messing. Yeah. With <laughs> 
Wow. There, there's significant periods in my life as a child, like elementary school, middle school, high school, college. There's significant periods in my life where wow. there's. Oh, and that's always happened? It's always happened. I don't have any white friends. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Uh, like, that, that, I got like like three. I can count on my hands. That have that's shown, good though. They have shown me what I've opened up, and then they have shown me. Let's be clear, me opening up, and they have shown me that they're just a person. You know what I'm saying? They ain't got no. Mm -hmm. And then there's you know people that says I understand that the system I was raised in has conditioned me to be this way. So if I say something, let me know. And I can. Oh, that's a, That's good. You could appreciate that level of introspection from anyone. Exactly. That's being willing to be introspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can, yes. I can appreciate that. Um, what advice do you have for Black women that are thinking about taking the leap and moving abroad? Hmm. Do your research, okay? Do your research on the place that you're thinking about moving. And then also, don't be scared. I think, like, in times like these, or even just growing up, like, when I told my family I was moving to Haiti, of course, my family's like, you know they got voodoo over there. He might, <laughs> you know, he might, you know, have, you might get over there and he got two other wives, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then if someone had a bad experience with someone who was Haitian, then people reflect that on all Haitian people, right? You know, so mm. like, oh, you remember this person? They weren't, you know, they weren't all together. They was Haitian, you know. So you have to do your own research for yourself and set up and don't go blindly. Like I wouldn't go up to New York blindly, you know, and just be mm -hmm. walking around the city of New York without a plan, without anything. So I don't think you should have that kind of wanderlust when you go to a different place. I think it should be very, you know, intentional and thought out. And you, you go visit a few times and research the culture and respect the culture. And that part. And um, know what you're getting into culturally as a black woman, not just as a person living there, but how do they treat black people? How, you know, all of that goes <laughs> into it as an American. So I, I just feel like do your research and, and, and also have that childlike, you know, in, innocence and, and willingness to go somewhere because I think black people should just start traveling and just be all over the world in general, you know, <laughs> if they let us in now, if they, <laughs> if they, let you, <laughs> they open the doors up. No, <laughs> Only 24 countries right now have our granted Americans access out of a, like 195. Well, see, that's countries. the thing. The arrogance of Americans think you can go up in anywhere. Yeah. See, America's not what the hot stuff it used to be. You see what I'm saying? Hmm. Slowly but surely. Even the American dollar girl. <laughs> you know, so that used to have some weight. Like if you were somewhere and you tipping a couple of American dollars, you would be looking like, oh, look at you. But now even people who are begging for money don't want a dollar. They don't want five. They don't want American dollars like that. Dang, people that's begging for 
They don't. You know, it used to be, I feel like America looks foolish. And so the weight that America once carried, I mean, you're still a superpower, of course, people, you know, it's like that friend that you want to include, but you talk about her behind her back. You know, it's just, <laughs> you know, she, she drives a nice car, but we don't like her. That's America, I feel like. And it, That's a good analogy. In terms of, <laughs> of Europe, you know, in different places of the world. And you can't stand up on a pedestal anymore. I think humility is very much required when it comes to international relations because America looks foolish straight up. Yeah, that's that's a fact. Even so, people are like they're not they don't want to move to America. They're thinking twice about coming to America. I know it's um I mean, you know, I was, my I have a driver here in South Africa and he's always like perplexed as to why I would have moved to South Africa. It's like everybody's trying to go to the United States. That's like that's his ultimate goal. And I'm like, Shall you do not want to go there? Mm-hmm. Is that is not what you is not, not what you think? <laughs> so mm-hmm. what's what's next for Christy? And where can people keep up with what you're doing and your businesses on social media? Okay, what's next? Well, I'm forming. Going to do. I had to take a break, but I'm going to do an online platform for women called Let's Talk with Christy. I want you to be a part of it, of course, and. Um, that's my next big, big project that I'm organizing. And so people can find me on Instagram at um, Shea Christie. It's, it's, it's spelled Shez, like, but because a lot of people, American people are like, what is this Shez Christie? It's Shea Christie um, um, on Instagram and SheaChristie.com, my website. And you can look up Shea Christie on Facebook as well. Shout out to our Patreon members for your support. If you too are interested in joining the Black Broads Abroad movement, you can follow us on social media and that's B-L-A-C-K-B-R-O-A-D-S. That's on Instagram and Facebook. And if you'd like to become a supporter on Patreon, you can do so on patreon.com backslash Black Broads Abroad.